It must have been some imp of the perverse, or some sardonic pull from dark hidden sources, which made me change my plans as I did. I had long before resolved to limit my observations to architecture alone, and I was even then hurrying toward the square in an effort to get quick transportation out of this festering city of death and decay. But the sight of old Zadok Allen set up new currents in my mind, and made me slacken my pace uncertainly. I had been assured that the old man could do nothing but hint at wild, disjointed, and incredible legends, and I had been warned that the natives made it unsafe to be seen talking to him. Yet the thought of this aged witness to the town's decay, with memories going back to the early days of ships and factories, was a lure that no amount of reason could make me resist. After all, the strangest and maddest of myths are often merely symbols or allegories based upon truth, and old Zadok must have seen everything which went on around Innsmouth for the last ninety years. Curiosity flared up beyond sense and caution, and in my youthful egotism I fancied I might be able to sift a nucleus of real history from the confused extravagant outpouring I would probably extract with the aid of raw whiskey. I knew that I could not accost him then and there, for the firemen would surely notice and object. Instead, I reflected, I would prepare by getting some bootleg liquor at a place where the grocery boy had told me it was plentiful. Then I would loaf near the fire station in apparent casualness, and fall in with old Zadok after he had started on one of his frequent rambles. The youth said that he was very restless, seldom sitting around the station for more than an hour or two at a time. A core bottle of whiskey was easily, though not cheaply, obtained in the rear of a dingy variety store just off the square in Elliott Street. The dirty-looking fellow who waited on me had a touch of the staring Innsmouth look, but was quite civil in his way, being perhaps used to the custom of such convivial strangers, truckmen, gold buyers, and the like, as were occasionally in town. Re-entering the square, I saw that luck was with me, for shuffling out of Payne Street around the corner of the Gilman house, I glimpsed nothing less than the tall, lean, tattered form of Zadok Allen himself. In accordance with my plan, I attracted his attention by brandishing my newly purchased bottle, and soon realized that he had begun to shuffle wistfully after me as I turned into Waite Street on my way to the most deserted region I could think of. I was steering my course by the map the grocery boy had prepared, and was aiming for the wholly abandoned stretch of southern waterfront which I had previously visited. The only people in sight there had been the fishermen on the distant breakwater, and by going a few squares south, I could get beyond the range of these, finding a pair of seats on some abandoned wharf, and being free to question old Zadok unobserved for an indefinite time. Before I reached Main Street, I could hear a faint and wheezy, Hey, mister, behind me, and I presently allowed the old man to catch up and take copious pulls from the quart bottle. I began putting out feelers as we walked along to Water Street, and turned southward amidst the omnipresent desolation and crazily tilted ruins, but found that the aged tongue did not loosen as quickly as I had expected. At length I saw a grass-grown opening toward the sea between crumbling brick walls, with the weedy length of an earthen masonry wharf projecting beyond. Piles of moss-covered stones near the water promised tolerable seats, and the scene was sheltered from all possible view by a ruined warehouse on the north. Here, I thought, was the ideal place for a long-secret colloquy. So I guided my companion down the lane, and picked out spots to set in among the mossy stones. The air of death and desertion was ghoulish, and the smell of fish almost insufferable, but I was resolved to let nothing deter me. About four hours remained for conversation, if I were to catch the eight o'clock coach for Arkham, and I began to dole out more liquor to the ancient tippler, meanwhile eating my own frugal lunch. 
In my donations, I was careful not to overshoot the mark, for I did not wish Zadok's venice garrulousness to pass into a stupor. After an hour, his furtive taciturnity shoot signs of disappearing, but much to my disappointment, he still sidetracked my questions about Innsmouth and its shadow-haunted past. He would babble of current topics, revealing a wide acquaintance with newspapers and a great tendency to philosophize in a sententious village fashion. Toward the end of the second hour, I feared my quart of whiskey would not be enough to produce results and was wondering whether I had better leave old Zadok and go back for more. Just then, however, chance made the opening which my questions had been unable to make, and the wheezing ancient's ramblings took a turn that caused me to lean forward and listen alertly. My back was toward the fishy-smelling sea, but he was facing it, and something or other had caused his wandering gaze to light on the low, distant line of Devil Reef, then shooing plainly and almost fascinatingly above the waters. The sight seemed to displease him, for he began a series of weak curses which ended in a confidential whisper and a knowing leer. He bent toward me, took hold of my coat lapel, and hissed out some hints that could not be mistaken. There's where it all began. That cursed place of all the wickedness where the deep water starts. Gate of hell. Sheer drop down to a bottom no sounding line could tech. Old Cap Nobed done it. Him that found out mourn was good for him in the South Sea Islands. Everybody was in a bad way them days. Trade falling off, mills losing business, even the new ones. And the best of our men's folk killed the privateering in the War of 1812, or lost with the Elazi Brig and the Ranger Snow, both of them Gilman Venners. Obed Marsh had had three ships afloat, Brigantine Columby, Brig Hetty, and Bark Summitry Queen. He was the only one that's kept on with the East Indian Pacific trade. Though Estrus Martin's Barkentine Malay pride made a venter as the latest twenty-eight. Never was nobody like Captain Obed. Oh, Lemma Satan. <laughs> I can mind him a telling about fur and parts and calling all the folks stupid for going to Christian meeting and bearing their burdens meek and lowly. Said they'd order get better gods, like some of the folks in the Engies. God as it'd bring them good fish in return for their sacrifices and it'd really answer folks' prayers. Matt Elliott, his first mate, talked a lot, too, only he was again folks doing any heathen things. Told about an island east of Odahite, where there was a lot of stone ruins older than anybody knew anything about. Kind of like them on Ponape and the Carolines, but with the carvings of faces that looked like the big statues on Easter Island. There was a little volcanic island near there, too, where there was other ruins with different carvings. Ruins all wore away like they'd been under the sea once and with pictures of awful monsters all over him. Well, sir, Matt, he says the natives around there had all the fish they could catch, and sported bracelets and armlets and head rigs made out of the queer kind of gold, and covered with pictures of monsters just like the ones carved over the ruins on the little island. Sort of fish-like frogs or frog-like fishes that was drawn in all kinds of positions, like they was human beings. Nobody could get out of them where they got all the stuff and all the other natives wondered how they managed to find fish in plenty when even the next islands had lean pickings. Matt, he got to wondering too, and so did Captain Obed. Obed, he notices, besides, that lots of the handsome young folk could drop out of sight for good from year to year, and that they won't many old folks around. Also, 
He thinks some of the folks look darn queer even for Kanakis. It took Obed to get the truth out of them heathen. I know how he done it, but he begun by trading for the gold-like things they wore. I asked them where they come from and if they could get more. And finally, wormed the story out of the old chief. Wallachia, they called him. Nobody but Obed had ever believed the old yeller devil. But the cabin could read folks like they was books. <laughs> Nobody never believes me now when I tell them, and I don't suppose you will, young feller. Though, come to look at you, you've kind of got them sharp reading eyes like Obed had. The old man's whisper grew fainter, and I found myself shuddering at the terrible and sincere portentousness of his intonation, even though I knew his tale could be nothing but drunken fantasy. Well, sir, Obed, he learned that these things on this earth that most folks never heard about, and wouldn't believe if they did hear. It seems these Kanakis was sacrificing heaps of their young men and maidens to some kind of god things that lived under the sea and getting all kinds of favor in return. They met the things on the little islet with the queer ruins, and it seems them awful pictures of frogfish monsters was supposed to be pictures of these things. Maybe there's the kind of critters that's got all the mermaid stories and such started. They had all kinds of cities on the sea bottom, and this island was heaved up from there. Seems it was come of the things alive in the stone buildings when the island had come up sudden to the surface. That's how the Kanakis got wind they was down there. Made sign talk as soon as they got over being scared and pieced up a bargain before long. Them things liked human sacrifices. Had had them ages afore and lost track of the upper world after a time. What they'd done to the victims, it ain't for me to say, and I guess Obed wasn't none too sharp about asking. But it was all right with the heathens, because they'd been having a hard time and was desperate about everything. They gave a certain number of young folk to the sea things twocked every year. May Eve and Halloween. Regular as could be. Also give some of the carved knickknacks they made. What the things agreed to give in return was plenty of fish. They drove them in from all over the sea. And a few gold-like things now and then. Well, as I says... The natives met the things on that little volcanic islet, gone there in canoes with the sacrifices, etc., and bring them back any of the gold-like jewels that was coming to them. At first the things didn't seem to go to the main island, but after a time they come to want to. Seems they hankered after mixing with the folks, and then having joint ceremonies on the big days, May Eve and Halloween. You see, they was able to live both in and out of water. What they call amphibians, I guess. The Kanakis told them how folks from the other islands might want to wipe them out if they ever got wind of their being there. But says they don't care much, because they could wipe out the whole brood of humans if they was willing to bother. That is, Aeneas didn't have certain signs such as was used once by the lost old ones, whoever they was. But not wanting to bother, they'd lay low when anybody visited the island. When it come to mating with them toad-looking fishes, the Kanakis kind of balked, but finally they learnt something that's put a new face on the matter. Seems that human folks has got a kind of relation to such water beasts, that everything alive came out of the water once, and only needs a little change to go back in. And things told the Kanakis that if they mix bloods, there'd be children as it look human at first, but later turn more and more like the things, till finally they'd take to the water and join the main lot of things down there. And this is the important part, young feller. 
they must turn into fish things and went to the water, would never die. And things never died except they was killed violent. Well, sir, it seems by the time Obed knowed them islanders, they was full of fish blood from them deep water things. When they got old and began to show it, they was kept hidden until they felt like taking to the water and quitting the place. Some was more attached than others, and some never did quite change enough to take to the water, but most, they turned out just the way them things said. Them as was born more like the things changed early, but them as was nearly human sometimes stayed on the island till they was past seventy, though they'd usually go down under for trial trips afore that. Folks as had took to the water generally came back a good deal to visit, so the man's had often be a talking to his own five times great grandfather who'd left the dry land a couple hundred years or so afore. Everybody got out of the idea of dying, except in canoe wars with the other islanders, or as sacrifices to the sea gods down below, or from snake bite or plague or sharp galloping ailments or, or something afore they could take to the water, but simply look forward to a kind of change that wasn't a bit horrible after a while. They thought what they got was well what they'd all had to give up. And I guess Obed kind of come to think the same himself when he chewed over old Wallachia's story a bit. Wallachia, though, was one of the few who hadn't got none of the fish blood, being of a royal line that intermarried with royal lines on other islands. Wallachia, he showed Obed a lot of rites and incantations as had to do with the sea things, and let him see some of the folks in the village as had changed a lot from the human shape. Somehow or other, though, he would never let him see one of the regular things from right out of the water. In the end, he gave him a funny kind of thingamajig, made out of lead or something, that he said it'd bring up the fish things from any place in the water where there might be a nest of them. The idea was to drop it down with the right kind of prayers and such, while well, Akia allowed as the things were scattered all over the world, so anybody that looked about could find a nest and bring them up if they was wanted. Matt. He didn't like this business at all, and wanted Obed to keep away from the island. But the captain was sharp for gain, and found he could get them gold-like things so cheap it'd pay him to make a specialty of them. Things went on that way for years, and Obed got enough of that gold-like stuff to make him start the refinery in Waite's old run-down Fullen mill. He didn't dare sell the pieces like they was, for folks would be all the time asking questions. All the same, his crews would get a piece and dispose of it now and then, even though they was swore to keep quiet, and he let his women folks wear some of the pieces as was more human-like than most. Well, come about thirty-eight, when I was seven-year-old, Obed, he found the island people all wiped out between the voyages. Seems the other islanders had got wind of what was going on, and it took matters into their own hands. Suppose they must have had, after all, them old magic signs as the sea things say was the only thing they was afeard of. No telling what any of them canikies would get a chance to get a hold of when the sea bottom throws up some island with ruins older than the deluge. Pious cusses these was. They didn't leave nothing standing on either the main island or the little volcanic island except what parts of the ruins was too big to knock down. In some places there was little stones strewed about, like charms was something on them like what you would call swastika nowadays. Probably them was the old one's signs. Folks all wiped out, no trace of gold life things, and none of the nearby canikies had breathed a word about the matter. 
wouldn't even admit there'd ever been people on that island. That naturally hit Obed pretty hard, seeing as his normal trade was doing very poor. It hit the whole of Innsmouth, too, because in seafaring days what profited the master of a ship generally profited the crew proportionate. Most of the folks around town took the hard times kind of sheep-like and resigned, but they was in bad shape because the fishing was petering out, and the mills weren't doing none too well. That's the time Obed, he begun a-cursing at the folks for being dull sheep and praying to a Christian heaven as didn't help him none. He told him he'd know the folks as prayed to God to give something you really need, and says if a good bunch of men had stand by him, he can maybe get a hold of certain powers as it'd bring plenty of fish and quite a bit of gold. Of course, them as served on the Summitry Queen and see the island and knowed what he meant, and were none too anxious to get close to see things like they'd hear tell on. But then they didn't know what it was all about, they're kind of swayed by what Old Bed had to say, and began to ask him what he could do to set him on the way to faith as it'd bring him results. Here the old man faltered, mumbled, and lapsed into a moody and apprehensive silence, glancing nervously over his shoulder, and then turning back to stare fascinatedly at the distant black reef. When I spoke to him, he did not answer, so I knew I would have to let him finish the bottle. The insane yarn I was hearing interested me profoundly, for I fancied there was contained within it a sort of crude allegory based upon the strangeness of Innsmouth, and elaborated by an imagination at once creative and full of scraps of exotic legend. Not for a moment did I believe that the tale had any real substantial foundation. But nonetheless, the account held a hint of genuine terror, if only because it brought in references to strange jewelry clearly akin to the malign tiara I had seen in Newburyport. Perhaps the ornaments had, after all, come from some strange island, and possibly the wild stories were lies of the bygone Obed himself, rather than of this antique troper. I handed Zadok the bottle, and he drained it to the last drop. It was curious how he could stand so much whiskey, for not even a trace of thickness had come into his high, wheezy voice. He licked the nose of the bottle and slipped it into his pocket, then beginning to nod and whisper softly to himself. I bent close to catch any articulate words he might utter, and thought I saw a sardonic smile behind the stained, bushy whiskers. Yes, he was really forming words and they could grasp a fair portion of them. Poor Matt. Matt, he was always against it. Tried to line up the folks on his side, and had long talks with the preachers. No use. They were on the congregational parson out of town, and the Methodist feller quit. Never did see Resolve Babcock, the Baptist parson, again. Wrath of Jehovah. He was a mighty little critter but I heard what I heard and seen what I seen. Dagon and Ashtoreth, Belial and Beelzebub, Golden Calf and the idols of Canaan and the Philistines, Babylonish abominations, Many, many, Tekel, a parson. He stopped again, and from the look in his watery blue eyes, I feared he was close to a stupor after all but when I gently shook his shoulder, he turned on me with astonishing alertness and snapped out some more obscure phrases. Don't believe me, eh? <laughs> then just tell me, young feller, why Captain Nobed and twenty-odd other folks used to row out to Devil Reef in the dead of night 
and chant things so loud you could hear them all over town when the wind was right. Tell me that, huh? And tell me why Obed was always dropping heavy things down into the deep water to the other side of the reef, where the bottom shoots down like a cliff, lower than you can sound. Tell me what he done with that funny-shaped lead thingamajig as Wallachia gave him. Hey, boy. And why do they all howl on May Eve and again on the next Halloween? And why the new church parsons, fellers as used to be sailors, wear them queer robes and cover themselves with them gold-like things Obed brung, huh? The watery blue eyes were almost savage and maniacal now, and the dirty white beard bristled electrically. Old Zadok probably saw me shrink back, for he begun to cackle evilly. <laughs> Beginning to see, huh? Maybe you'd like to have been me in them days, when I see things at night out to sea from the couple at top of my house. Oh, I can tell you, little pitchers had big ears, and I wasn't missing nothing of what was gossiped about Captain Obed and the folks about the reef. <laughs> about the night I took my pa's ship's glass up to the cupola and see the reef a bristling thick with shapes that dove off quick soon's the moon riz. Obed and the folks was in a dory, but them shapes dove off the far side into the deep water and never come up. How do you like to be a little shaver alone in a cupola watching shapes that wasn't human shapes? Huh? <laughs> the old man was getting hysterical, and I began to shiver with a nameless alarm. He laid a gnarled claw on my shoulder, and it seemed to me that its shaking was not altogether that of mirth. Suppose one night you see something heavy heaved off in Nobed's door beyond the reef, and then learnt next day a young feller was missing from home. Huh? Anybody ever see Hyde or Hare or Hiram Gillum again? Did they? And Nick Pierce? And Louie Waite? And Adoniram Southwick? And Henry Garrison? Huh? <laughs> Shapes talking sign language with their hands. Them has had real hands. Well, sir, that was the time Obed began to get on his feet again. Folks see his three daughters are wearing gold-like things as nobody ever seen them on before, and smoke started coming out of the refinery chimney. Other folks were prospering too. Fish began to swarm into the harbor fit to kill, and heaven knows what size cargoes would be going to ship out to Newburyport, Arkham, and Boston. Twas then Obed got the old branch railroad put through. Some Kingsport fishermen heard about the catch and come up the sloops, but they was all lost. Nobody never see him again. And just then, our folks organized the Esoteric Order of Dagon and bought Masonic Hall off in Calvary Commandery for it. <laughs> Matt Elliott was a Mason and against the selling, but he dropped out of sight just then. Remember, I St. Obed was set on having things just like they was at the Kanaki Island. I don't think he aimed at first to do no mixing nor raise no youngins to take to the water and turn to fishes with eternal life. He wanted gold things, and was willing to pay heavy, and I guess the others were satisfied for a while. Coming 46, the town had done some looking and thinking for itself. Too many folks missing, too much wild preaching at meeting of a Sunday. Too much talk about that reef. I guess I'd done a bit by telling Selectman Maori what I see from the cupolo. There was a party one night as followed Obed's crowd out to the reef, 
and I heard shots betwixt the dories. Next day, Obed and 32 others was in jail, with everybody a-wondering just what was afoot and just what charge again them could be got to hold. God, if anybody looked ahead. A couple weeks later, when nothing had been thrown into the sea for that long. Zadok was showing signs of fright and exhaustion, and I let him keep silence for a while, though glancing apprehensively at my watch. The tide had turned and was coming in now, and the sound of the waves seemed to arouse him. I was glad of that tide, for at high water the fishy smell might not be so bad. Again, I strained to catch his whispers. That awful night. I seed him. I was up in the cupola. Hordes of them. Swarms of them. All over the reef and swimming up the harbor into the Minuxet. God, what happened in the streets of Vinsmith that night? They rattled our door, but Pa wouldn't open. Then he clumb out the kitchen window with his musket to find Selectman Mowry and see what he could do. Mounds of the dead and the dying. Shots and screams. Shouting in Old Square and Town Square and New Church Green. Jail throwed open. Proclamation. Treason. Called it the plague when folks come in and found half our people missing. Nobody left but them as a giant in with Obed and them things. Or else keep quiet. Never hear to my pa no more. The old man was panting and perspiring profusely. His grip on my shoulder tightened. Everything cleaned up in the morning, but there was traces. Obed, he kind of takes charge and says things is going to be changed. Others are warship with us at meeting time, and certain houses has got to entertain guests. They wanted to mix like they'd done with the Kanakis, and he for one didn't feel bound to stop them. Far gone was Obed. Just like a crazy man on that subject. He says they brung us fish and treasure and should have what they hankered after. Nothing was to be different on the outside, only we was to keep shy of strangers if we knowed what was good for us. We all had to take the oath to Dagon, and later on, they was second and third oaths that some of us took. Them as it helped special, we'd get special rewards, gold and such. No use balking, for there was millions of them down there. They'd rather not start rising and wiping out humankind, but if they was gave away and forced to, they could do a lot toward just that. We didn't have them old charms to cut them off like the folks at the South Sea did, and them canikies would never give away their secrets. Yield up enough sacrifices and savage knickknacks and harborage in the town when they wanted it, and they'd let well enough alone. Wouldn't bother no strangers as my bare tails outside. That is, without they got prying. All in the band of the faithful. Order a day gone. And the children should never die, but go back to the Mother Hydra and Father Dagon what we all come from once. Yeah. Yeah. Cthulhu Fatagan. Old Zadok was fast lapsing into stark raving, and I held my breath. Poor old soul, to what pitiful depths of hallucination had his liquor, plus his hatred for the decay, alienage, and disease around him, brought that fertile, imaginative brain. He began to moan now, 
and his tears were coursing down his channeled cheeks into the depths of his beard. God, what I've seen since I was fifteen year old. Many, many tackle a parson. The folks as was missing, and them as killed themselves. Them as told things in Arkham or Ipswich or such places was all called crazy, like you are calling me right now. But God, what I've seen. They'd have killed me long ago for what I know. Only I took the first and second oaths of Dagon off no bed. So it was protected unless an a jury of them proved I told things known and deliberate. But I wouldn't take the third oath. I'd have died rather than take that. It got worse around Civil War time, when children born sink 46 began to grow up. Some of them, that is. I was feared. Never did no pride out of that awful night. I never see one of them close to in all my life. That is, never no full-blooded one. I went to the war, and if I'd had any guts or sense, I'd have never come back, but settled away from here. The folks wrote me things wasn't so bad. That, I suppose, was because government draft man was in town after 63. After the war, it was just as bad again. People began to fall off. Mills and shops shut down. Shipping stopped and the harbor choked up. Railroad gave up. But they... They never stopped swimming in and out of the river from that cursed reef of Satan. And more and more attic winders got boarded up. And more and more noises was heard in houses as wasn't supposed to have nobody in them. Folks outside have their stories about us. Suppose you'd hear plenty on them, seeing what questions you asked. Stories about things they've seen now and then, and about that queer jewelry that still comes in from somewheres, and ain't quite all melted up. But nothing ever gets definite. Nobody'll believe nothing. They call them gold-like things pirate loot, and allow the Innsmouth folk as fern blood or as distempered or something. Besides, them that lives here shoo off as many strangers as they can, and encourage the rest not to get very curious especially round nighttime. Beasts balk at the critters. Hosses was some mules. But when they got autos, that was all right. In 46, Cap Nobed took a second wife that nobody in the town ever see. Some says he didn't want to, but was made to by them as he called in. Had three children by her. Two was disappeared young, but one gal has looked like anybody else and was educated in Europe. Obed finally got her married off by a trick to an Arkham feller as didn't suspect nothing. But nobody else sile have nothing to do with Innsmouth folks now. Barnabas Marsh that runs a refinery now is Obed's grandson by his first wife, son of Onesiphorus, his eldest son, but his mother was another of them and one never seed outdoors. Right now Barnabas is about changed, can't shut his eyes no more, and is all out of shape. They say he still wears clothes, but he'll take to the water soon. Maybe he's tried it already. They do sometimes go down for little spells before they go for good. Ain't been seen about in public for nigh on ten year. Don't know how his poor wife can feel. She come from Ipswich, and they nigh lynched Barnabas when he courted her fifty-odd year ago. Obed, he died in seventy-eight, and all the next generation is gone now. The first wife's children dead, and the rest, God knows. The sound of the incoming tide was now very insistent, 
and little by little it seemed to change the old man's mood from maudlin tearfulness to watchful fear. He would pause now and then to renew those nervous glances over his shoulder or out toward the reef, and despite the wild absurdity of his tale, I could not help beginning to share his vague apprehensiveness. Zadok now grew shriller and seemed to be trying to whip up his courage with louder speech. Hey, you. Why don't you say something? How'd you like to be living in a town like this, with everything a-rotten and a-dying and boarded-up monsters crawling and bleeding and barking and hopping around black cellars and attics every way you turn? Huh? How'd you like to hear the howling night after night from the churches and order a Dagon Hall and know what's doing part of the howling? How'd you like to hear what comes from that awful reef every May Eve and Hallowmas? Huh? Think the old man's crazy? Well, sir, let me tell you that ain't the worst. Zadok was really screaming now, and the mad frenzy of his voice disturbed me more than I care to own. Curse you, don't you see they're staring at me with them eyes? I tell Obed Marsh he's in hell, and he's got to stay there. <laughs> in hell, I says. Can't get me. I ain't done nothing nor told nobody nothing. Oh, you, young feller. Well, even if I hadn't told nobody nothing yet, I'm a-going to now. You just sit still and listen to me, boy. This is what I ain't never told nobody. I says I ain't doing no prying after that night, but I found things out just the same. You want to know what the real horror is, huh? Well, it's this. It ain't what them fish devils has done, but what they were gonna do. They're bringing things up out of where they come from into the town. Been doing it for years and slacking it up lately. Them houses north of the river betwixt water and main streets is full of them. Them devils and what they brung. And when they get ready. I say when they get ready. Ever hear tale of a Shoggoth? Hey, do you hear me? I tell you I know what them things be. I seen them one night when... Uh, yeah! The hideous suddenness and inhuman frightfulness of the old man's shriek almost made me faint. His eyes, looking past me toward the malodorous sea, were positively starting from his head, while his face was a mask of fear worthy of Greek tragedy. His bony clog dug monstrously into my shoulder, and he made no motion as I turned my head to look at whatever he had glimpsed. There was nothing I could see, only the incoming tide, with perhaps one set of ripples more local than the long-flung line of breakers. But now Zadok was shaking me, and I turned back to watch the melting of that fear-frozen face into a chaos of twitching eyelids and mumbling gums. Presently his voice came back, albeit as a trembling whisper. Get out of here! Get out of here! They seen us! Get out for your life! Don't wait for nothing! They know now! Run for it! Quick! Out of this town! Another heavy wave dashed against the loosening masonry of the bygone wharf and changed the mad ancient's whisper to another inhuman and blood-curdling scream. Ah! Before I could recover my scattered wits, he had relaxed his clutch on my shoulder and dashed wildly inland toward the street, reeling northward around the ruined warehouse wall. I glanced back at the sea, but there was nothing there. And when I reached Water Street and looked along it toward the north, there was no remaining trace of Zadok Allen.